Bibles out if we could. Turn to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. And while you're turning there, let me welcome all the ladies back that went to the ladies conference this weekend uh, down in Gulfport. Thank the Lord it wasn't too far of a drive. The Deep South Ladies Conference was this week and heard they had a great time. Over 500 ladies at the conference this past week and uh, that was a spiritual room, wasn't it? Yeah, you get 500 ladies in a room, boy, there's a, there's a lot of God in there. Thank God for the opportunity for them to go and heard they had a wonderful time, wonderful fellowship. I don't ask them anymore uh, what happened when they were not at the conference because I found I usually don't want to know what happened when they're not at the conference, but I hear they had a good time together. And go ahead and remind you, a year from about now, uh, we're going to be hosting the Deep South Ladies Conference here at Central, and we're excited about that. Going to have folks from all over the country coming in, or ladies coming in from all over the country. And uh, our speakers nailed down for, uh, for the conference. Going to be Miss Shelley Hamilton. If you remember Patch the Pirate who went on to be with the Lord recently, his wife is going to be coming and she'll be speaking to our ladies in that. And then also uh, Miss Christy Copeland is going to be one of the speakers as well. We've got a lot of planning and preparation going into that. So look forward to that about this time next year. Ephesians chapter 5, if you're there, let's go ahead and stand together. And we're going to look down to about verse number 13. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 13, and I've got a four-pointer for you this morning. My wife says, wow. I said, yeah, I know. I know you're not going to be the only one saying that when we're done. Ephesians chapter 5, look down to verse 13. I'll try to hurry. Uh, we got a very simple thought the Lord laid on our heart just recently, and I want to share with you something God challenged me with today. The Bible says, Ephesians 5, 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I think we could all amen right there, correct? Verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And much to the sigh of relief, we're not going to read verse 18. It's not a part of that. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your word. And Father, I pray you'd help us today through it. Lord, I believe what you say. It's quick and it's living and it's powerful. And I pray that today we would let it have its will and its way in our life. Father, we know you have a will in the message today. Help, Lord, nothing to hinder us from hearing, receiving, and responding to your word today. Continue to be with those that aren't with us today. Give grace and healing, we ask. And we pray, Father, for spiritual work to be done. Bless the invitation today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, last night, I sat down on the couch, and I did something I don't do a whole lot of. I did some math. And according to my math, I have been married for 18 years, 2 months, and 17 days. Uh, now, honey, I know you got it down to the second, but I just got it down to the day, if you don't mind me uh, on that one. I didn't want to go too deep into that. And I got to thinking about my wedding the other night, uh, just one of those things that nostalgia kind of hits you and realizing we're going on 20 years of marriage. Uh, now, for those of you who've been married a lot longer than that, I know we're just at the beginning of it, but 20 years is a long time for me. And uh, I mean, my goodness, it's, uh, it's not even half my wife's life, right? Uh, amen, amen, not even half her life she's been married, but I'm thankful to God for the day that God brought me my wife and brought me the one that he made for me, and I remember when I got married, uh, I remember thinking I was 25 years old, 
And I thought to myself, I says, well, I'm getting married a little later than normal, you know. A lot of people get married in their late teens, early 20s. I was in my mid-20s, as a matter of fact, 25 and a half years old. I'd been preaching for 10 years already, and I thought to myself, you know, going into this, I've got a lot more figured out than the average bear, right? Uh, I mean, 25 years old, a lot of life experience, you know, I'd already had a good job, I'd already been preaching for about 10 years, and I thought, I have got this thing figured out, okay? Uh, I understood when I got married uh, that God had sent me the one that he wanted me to spend the rest of my life with, the one that I would have adventures with. Matter of fact, I put that on the list I made when I was 15 years old. I encourage all of our young people, they ask me about, you know, looking forward one day to getting married. I tell them, you ought to sit down, write down on the top of a piece of paper, I believe. And then start writing down what you believe and things you're not going to compromise on uh, in order to get someone. You need to nail that down before you meet somebody, amen? Know what you believe before you enter into a relationship. But that's another subject for another day. So I wrote down what I believe. And then I also wrote down things I wanted in a wife, all right? And one of the things I wrote down there was I wanted a wife that was adventurous, that wanted to go on adventures with me, whitewater rafting, mountain climbing, and all the kind of fun stuff that I like to do with my life. I even put on there, I want someone uh, that's spontaneous, that if I decide to go to Walmart at 2 a.m. because I'm craving some Cheetos, that she's going to be like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's get up and go to Walmart, which at the time was over 20 miles away, to get some Cheetos. I don't know that we ever did that. That was on my list, but I don't think I ever got around to doing things like that. And Boy, I tell you, the 20 years that we've been married have been wonderful. Uh, I remember when we got married, walking out of the church, thinking to myself, I am responsible for that human being. I have to take care of her health care. I have to make sure she's fed. I have to make sure she has a car. And then it began to hit me, you know. I was thinking about the whitewater rafting and the Cheetos at 2 a.m. And then the responsibilities started to weighing on me that her dad was like, she's yours now. And I'm thinking, what is that supposed to mean? You know, and then I begin to understand what that means, that she's mine now. And uh, thank God I, I've kept her fed and I've kept a roof over her house. By the grace of God, kept her with all that she needed to have and hopefully some of what she's wanted over the past 18 years. I'll tell you one thing I have realized over the past 18 years and two months and 17 days. There's way more to being married than I thought there was. Amen? Amen. For those of you who've been married over 25 years, you are nodding your head like, yeah, wait till you get 50. Wait till you get 50. The Lord's going to come back before we get to 50. I don't have to worry about that. I've learned over the past 18 years there is a much more richer and deeper and meaningful idea and truth behind exactly what a marriage and a relationship between a husband and wife are all about. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we get to find out that it's much more than maybe the things we think about when we first get married and that there's a deeper relationship we have with each other and walking with God together, serving God together. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful I'm able to mature in my relationship with my wife. Now, stick with me because I'm going to carry this around to our relationship with God. I'm thankful that relationships are able to mature, aren't you? That maybe we start off in our relationships and maybe there are, are, are genuine feelings, but maybe not as deep as they should be. And over time, by the grace of God, you get a deeper, richer, more meaningful relationship with that person. I'm thankful we can do that with our relationship with God, aren't you? 
I'm thankful that when I got saved, listen, I am saved, I am sealed, and I am secure. As a nine-year-old child, I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and nothing can change that. But aren't you glad that our relationship with Christ matures over time, or it can mature over time, to a richer, deeper, and more meaningful walk with God? I'm thankful for that this morning. I'm thankful we're able to grow. I'm thankful we're able to walk closer with him and become more like Christ. And maybe things that as a young Christian we didn't like, we've matured to love in our walk with God. Someone said this once, the way you know that you're maturing is when your childhood punishments become your lifelong goals. What do you mean by that? Well, let me give you a few. Number one, going to bed early. When you were a child, that was a punishment. You didn't want to go to bed, and now that we're over 40, or maybe some of you even younger than that, you look forward to going to bed early. You're definitely maturing. When you're a child, it's a punishment to have to stay inside, and now as an adult, you just look forward to staying at home, right? Everybody's going out, everybody else is having fun, and you just look forward to staying in your pajamas on your couch. When you're a child, you look at it as a punishment of getting clothes as gifts. And yet, the other day when my wife or my daughter and I were talking about Christmas gifts, I was thinking to myself, I sure would like a new pair of socks. You're like, oh no. Oh no, I'm, I'm getting old. No, we're just maturing a little bit. I used to wonder my grandfather would go to Cracker Barrel and he would order the veggie plate. I'm thinking, Why? Why would you go to Cracker Barrel where they have the hamburger steak and the, uh, the broiled fish and all of these things that are there? And now the older I get, I found myself sitting at coffee with my wife at the depot the other day. And all that I ordered for lunch was the braised greens. I'm getting old. I am maturing. Now, can I tell you something? Now, I don't know that I'm maturing a lot, okay? Some of you are like, well, I'm not sure about that. But aren't you glad that we, as, we, as we grow older in our relationships, we mature a little bit, and we learn to develop a taste for things that maybe we despised or didn't care for as a child when we had more of a shallow relationship. And I want to tie that to Christ this morning, if we could. I'm thankful that when we get saved, we are sealed and we are secure, but you know, God wants us to develop a greater understanding of what a relationship with him means. It doesn't just mean that, hey, I'm saved, God's my Father, and heaven's my home. Thank God that when we get saved, that comes with it, right? But God wants us to understand that when we get saved, we become children of God. He wants us to develop a greater understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Him. This morning, we're going to look at the, the book of Ephesians. I want you to turn back to chapter 1 real quick, because I'm going to flip through here before we get to chapter number 5. Ephesians, here's Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's not only outlining coming to know Christ, but he's outlining how to have a richer, deeper, more meaningful relationship with God, and I'm thankful for that today. I'm thankful that after we get saved, God desires we know him better. Isn't that wonderful? He wants us to know him better and know more about what the relationship with him means and how it can change our life. Chapter 1, look down at verse 7. The Bible speaks about our redemption. That's when we got saved. Aren't you glad for that? Look down, the Bible says in verse number 13, in whom ye also trusted. Thank God that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believe, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Thank God for that. Amen? But watch what it goes on to say in verse 17. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That after we come to know him, we are redeemed and we are saved and we are sealed. That God wants us to have a greater understanding and wisdom of him. I mean, listen to me, folks. I mean, God did enough just saving our soul, and not only did he save our soul, he wants to have a continual, growing, maturing relationship with us. We don't just have that shallow relationship of, hey, I don't want to go to hell, but I want to go to heaven. We have a personal, deep understanding of what a relationship with Christ means. Turn to chapter 2, look down, if you will, to verse 6. We're going to skip through a couple of verses right quick. Notice, if you will, the Bible says in verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice the position we have in Christ. It's not just salvation in a home in heaven. The Bible says we have position in Christ. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Notice we have a purpose in Christ. No, this is not an old message I've preached before, but if you want to outline it, I went ahead and alliterated all of them for you, okay? We have a purpose, the Bible says, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Look at verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Notice we see a picture of our past without Christ. He's showing us what a relationship with Christ looks like. Go on chapter number 4. We're going to hurry and get through the introduction. Chapter 4, you look down to verse 3, the Bible says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Aren't you glad we have peace through Christ? Verse 17 in chapter 4, the Bible says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. He begins to outline what a relationship with Almighty God through the Lord Jesus Christ means for the life that we're living right now. Aren't you glad that our relationship through Christ with God not only impacts eternity, it impacts right now. And the relationship that we have with God through Christ affects how we live our life today. And we get to Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we're going to pick up with the message today. You look down, if you would, to verse 13, our, our text today. You begin to notice a summary where it's all combined in somewhat of a checklist. Now, let me say this right quick. It's not a meaningless requirement of our religion. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just give us these menial tasks that we're to go through to appease him as they do with idols? This is part of a relationship. I'm thankful today that the things that I get to do for Christ are because of my relationship with him. It is not a drudgery what I do for my wife. I was so excited. I was only without her this weekend at the ladies' conference while she was gone. I was only without her, I think, about 24 hours. And man, I want you to know, I was missing her after 24 hours. And man, when she was coming home, I told Maya, let's make sure the house is clean. And we got some sunflowers and put it there in the, in the kitchen. I got a brand new 12-pack of Diet Dr. Pepper. And we were excited for her to walk through the door. You say, man, you had to go through all of that? No, I did that for her because I have a relationship with her. And the deeper my relationship with her goes, the more that I want to do for her. It's not something that I have to do. Now, I want you to think about your relationship with Christ this morning. All of the things we're reading in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all of these things are what we are called to in the life we have through Christ and the relationship we have with him. And this morning, I want to preach on this subject, 
the calling of a life in Christ. The calling of a life in Christ. I want to show you this morning that the life we have in Christ is not just an eternal life. I'm thankful for that. That's the one we focus on, isn't it? Our get out of hell card. I thank God I don't have to go to hell. That through Christ I am saved, I'm sealed, I'm secure until the day of redemption. Thank God for that. But my life in Christ, it's not just an eternal life. It is a life that is affected right now. And I want to show you this morning what that calling of a life in Christ looks like. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Let me read this for you and we'll jump right in. The Bible says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Aren't you glad God called us out of something, but he calls us into something as well. Do you know what that something is? That's the life we have in Christ And I want to show you what that looks like this morning, if we could. Let's jump right in, all right? That was a long introduction, so I'm going to have to hurry, right? Look down, if you will, to verse 13. The Bible says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Now notice, he's using a dark and light illustration. But then he says something interesting in verse 14. The Bible says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I want you to focus in on a word right here. It's very important, verse 14. It's the word wherefore. It's the word wherefore. He's using the analogy of light and darkness. He is showing us the difference in the life that is outside of Christ and the life that is with Christ. It is a daylight and dark difference. But the Bible says that because we have light, watch this, wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. That word wherefore means because of or for this reason. Because of for this reason. Now who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says because you have light, there's something critical you need to understand. And he shows us what light does in our life. Watch what it says. Wherefore, that means because of or for this reason, Awake thou that sleepest. He says the presence of Christ in your life and the fact that you have Christ and his light in your life, it ought to bring about a turning point in your life. There ought to be a difference. Light and darkness. Can I tell you there's a difference there? And I want to show you the first thing this morning. It's going to be a little complicated, but you got to stick with me, all right? I want you to notice, number one, we are called to a wherefore. I'm going to explain that to you, so don't get all confused, okay? We are called to a wherefore. He's saying, watch this, because of this reason, because you have Christ, because his light has shone into our life, because of that, that should be a turning point in your life. There should be a difference in your life. Now, folks, I know we understand that for salvation. But oh, thank God we're not going to spend eternity in a devil's hell. But can I tell you something? That light ought to be a turning point in the way that we live our life. The Bible says, watch verse 14. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. He's showing us the difference that light makes. You know, we have these new headlights, I mean these new headlights, these new uh, street lights down the highway. 
Uh, I got to talk to the mayor a while back, and he was saying, yeah, we're putting those lights down through there. I appreciate them doing that just for us. Amen? For Central Baptist Church. I mean, man, we just have a, a wonderful mayor, and I appreciate him doing that. And uh, I've noticed several people coming down the highway here without their headlights on. It is so bright out there, they're riding down the road without their headlights on. And right now, they're going to do okay. But as they get further and further down the road in less fortunate areas that do not have the streetlights that we have, they're going to find it's difficult to drive without headlights, without streetlights, right? Yeah. But all of a sudden, when you have light, it changes your direction. Here's what he's saying. Watch this. The life, the Christian life that we are called to live, we are called to a wherefore. What does that mean? That means because and the reason that we have light, it ought to affect the way that we live our life. It ought to be a daylight and dark difference. What did it say, 1 Peter 2, 9? The Bible says, who's called us out of darkness and into light. Can I ask you something? Is your life in Christ, does it have a wherefore? Is Christ your reason for living a life that is different than the life you used to live? You say, well, how different? Daylight and dark. Daylight and dark. What is he saying? He says, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light, verse 13. He says, wherefore, because of the reason of light, it ought to be a turning point in your life. You know, the light that Christ has shown into our life because we are children of God, it ought to make a difference, not just in eternity, it ought to make a difference in today. It ought to make a difference tomorrow. Tomorrow when you go to your job and there's that annoying coworker. We all have one, right, Brother Michael? Amen. We all have one. I'm his and he's mine. No. Can I tell you, Jesus ought to be your wherefore tomorrow. He ought to be your reason that you speak to them differently, that you act differently around them. He ought to be your wherefore. We are called to a wherefore this morning. Thank God we have a reason not to be what we used to be. Thank God we have a reason to be something that we couldn't be before Jesus. That's what a wherefore is. Thank God we have that this morning. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid with modern religion, we've diluted the Christian life that celebrates, watch this, that celebrates where we're called from but hesitates in what we're called to. We celebrate, thank God I'm not on my way to hell. Thank God I'm not what I used to be. And thank God for that. But he didn't just call us out. He called us in. And Jesus is our wherefore. Jesus is our reason why. Hey, watch this. He called me out of that. He called me into that. And you ought to see a daylight and dark difference in my life. Not because of who I am. But all because of my wherefore. Which is Jesus. He's our wherefore. He's our why. He's our reason. Somebody ever said something to me, boy, you sang really good. I told somebody that one time. <coughs> Excuse me. They said, I told someone, I said, boy, that was a great special. You sang good. And they said this, if there's anything good of me, it's of God. I thought, boy, you're right. There's nothing good of any of us. Jesus is our wherefore. Watch. What did he say? Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest. What's the wherefore? It's Jesus, our reason that we've been called out of darkness and called to live a life that's pleasing unto our Father. Christ brings a wherefore to the Christian life. What is that? It's a turning point. What was the turning point in your life? Well, it was when you accumulated enough knowledge about the Bible. No, it was not. You got dunked 15 times back here in the water. No, it was not. 
You say, it was because my mom and dad raised me in Sunday school and I learned the books of the Bible and the song that goes with it. No, that was not the turning point of your life. It was Christ. Christ is our wherefore. He is the turning point. He is the reason we're no longer in darkness and called to live a life of what? Light. Unfortunately, today we have diluted our Christianity to a place to where we're thankful for what we've been called out of, but we stop halfway. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look what the Bible says in verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, stop right there. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. what does it begin with? A wherefore. A wherefore. He's saying, okay, wherefore. So we got to find out what's the reason behind the wherefore. If you go back up and read verse uh, 16 and 15. He says that Christ has no part of Belial. What was the turning point? It's Christ. Christ is the wherefore. Christ is why we come out from among them and be separate. It's Christ. He is the turning point of our life. He is the reason I get to come out. We lament the life we left behind. Oh, man, well, I'm missing out on the good old days. The good old days? The good old days? The day that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to save ourselves on our way to a devil's hell, are those the good old days? No. The days the Bible says what fruit we had then that were ashamed, those days, the days where the Bible says that we were captives, we dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, those are not the good old days. It's the good now days. Wherefore, we get to come out from among them and be ye separate. Who is the wherefore? It's Christ. Christ was the turning point and is the turning point in our life. Here's what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, and I'm going to hurry, okay? I may just give you two points tonight. That way we average out to three and three, okay? We'll, we'll try to work on that. Notice, here's what he's saying when you read Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way through 5. He says, look, Christ is not just the turning point of your eternity. He's the turning point of how you live from here on out. It ought to be a daylight and dark difference. People look at our life and see the way that we live our life. The reason is Christ. I love hearing people's testimonies. I have sat with a lot of you, and we've talked, and you've told me where God brought you from, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And boy, I look at who you are now, and I look at what you do now, and I know where God brought you from. Wherefore? Wherefore? What was the reason? Christ. It was Christ. Hey, maybe God used a friend, a Sunday school teacher, a preacher. I don't know. But can I tell you who made the difference in your life? It was Christ. That's it. He's the turning point. Christ is the wherefore. He's the reason we're no longer in darkness and we're in light. I think about uh, my mom and dad. Uh, not here today, obviously, and probably watching from the emergency room if I had to guess. Maybe dad will crank it up. And everybody in the nurse, in the, uh, not the nursing home, the hospital will hear that. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear about that one later. That's for sure. That was not a Freudian flip, Dad, if you are watching. I was thinking about my mom and dad this morning. And uh, years ago, my mom did not drink coffee. And uh, much like my wife is, is not a big coffee drinker, she drinks tea. And yet my dad would get up in the morning and have his devotion times. And my mom wanted to spend time with my dad, and so she started getting up and drinking coffee with my dad. Because she wanted to spend time with him. The more she got up and spent time with my dad, the more she began to develop a taste for coffee. And now we've won her over as a coffee drinker. We have one other person to convert. It's my wife. We're going to get her one day. We've 
made it to the frappes at McDonald's, which is a glorified milkshake with a hint of coffee, but hey, you got to start somewhere. Just watch. Because my mom desired that relationship with my dad. She developed a taste for things that he loved. It affected her. Can I tell you, if we just desired a deeper, richer, fuller relationship with our father, we would find it would be a turning point in our life where we developed a craving for that abundant life that he's calling us to. Christ has got to be your wherefore. Christ has got to be your reason why. Can I tell you, I pray this morning our relationship with Christ would go and grow to become the wherefore of our life. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, that Christ and your relationship with him has such an influence. Watch this. Wherefore you speak. Why do you speak the way you do and talk the way you do and treat people the way you do? It's because Christ is our wherefore. That my relationship with him is of such, it affects the way that I speak. It affects the way that I treat others. It affects the way that I forgive people. My relationship has gotten to the place where he's rubbing off on me. And you can see it in the way that we live our life. Number one, can I tell you the calling of the Christian life, we're called to a wherefore. That means where Christ becomes your reason for why you live and how you live and how you are able to live a life pleasing to our Father. But let's keep reading. I'm going to hurry, okay? Look down, if you will, to verse 15. He's about to get a little bit more specific. Watch what he says. Number one, Christ is our wherefore in verse 14, our reason why, the turning point in our life. But then he gets specific in verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly. Now, here's what's amazing. Suddenly you see the calling of the Christian life beginning to materialize. You know, for most people, the Christian life and the calling of the Christian life, it's invisible. Right? You don't see it. I'm saved, I'm sealed, it's in here, but it never manifests itself. But wait a minute, watch what it says. See then, that means, hey, get to it. See then that ye walk circumspectly. Notice the second thing about the life we're called to in Christ. Number two, we're called to a walk. We're called to a walk. Now, folks, this is important this morning. Christ is exhorting them to understand the depth of their relationship with God should be as such that it affects their walk. That, hey, not only watch Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, you've been redeemed, you've, you've trusted, you've sa- you're saved, and you're sealed. For by grace are you saved. Thank God for that. Here's what he says. Go deeper. Go deeper. Have a greater understanding. What did he say in verse 17? And wisdom of your relationship with God of such that we see verse number 15, that it affects our walk. Now, can I, t- I give you, I got to give you a great definition, okay? This is a good one. When you look down and find the word circumspectly, not a word we use very often today. It means diligently, carefully, but wait a minute, here's the best part. When you look up the word circumspectly, it means accurately. Accurately. Now this is great, watch. Paul is exhorting this church at Ephesus, look, get below that shallow relationship. Hey, yes, you're saved, you're sealed, you're born again, heaven's your home. Thank God for that. But have a greater wisdom and understanding of what that relationship means. And that great relationship we have will affect our walk, watch this, to walk accurately. Accurately. I'll give you an example. My grandparents were missionaries in Mexico. 
and we would take mission teams. Mom and dad would take mission teams down there. Uh, my mom and papa would take mission teams down there. And I got to tell you, there is nothing worse in the world than taking a group of people from South Mississippi to Mexico and listening to them butcher the beautiful Spanish language. It's horrible. You know, some guy got that, what is it, uh, you know, Rosetta Stone thing on, uh, on the computer, and he learned Spanish. Basically, all they do, I mean, here's the rule, okay? If you want to speak Spanish and you're from the South, here's what they do. They would go down to Mexico, and they would put an O on everything. Just put an O on an English word, and it becomes Spanish, you know? We're going to get in the car row and go down the road O to get a hamburger O. And you're sitting there, you're thinking to yourself, just stop. Just stop. I mean, it's horrible. And it's, it's even horrible for the ones who are so prideful, they think they got the Spanish language figured out. And you just sit back and watch them humiliate themselves because you can't tell them anything and there's not a lesson to be learned better than humiliation, right? But boy, we'd be down there seven days, eight days, nine days, ten days. Here's what's amazing. The more time they spent with them, the more accurately they communicated with them. The more time they spent with them, the deeper their relationship with them went, the more accurately they were able to speak with them. Can I tell you why I'm afraid we do not live the high calling of a Christian life like we could accurately? Because our relationship is not as deep as it needs to be. Yes, we have a relationship. Yes, we're saved. Yes, heaven's our home. But what did he say in chapter 1 and chapter 2? You need to have a greater understanding and wisdom of that relationship with God. How do you get that? you got to spend time around each other. Right? I've even heard of some people, the more time you spend around each other, the more you start looking like each other. For some of you ladies, that doesn't bode well. Why? Because you have the, your husband has the same problem I do. We are not cosmetically blessed, okay? We're not blessed a whole lot either way. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, wait a minute. The Bible says they what? They saw something in Peter and John. They saw something. The Bible says, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. I love this. This would have been me. All right? They would have looked at me and said, hey, that's an ignorant and an unlearned man, but he has boldness. The traits that we are seeing do not line up with who he is. Therefore, he must have gotten them from someone else. Let me read the rest of the verse for you, and I'll tell you where he got it from. The Bible says they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Huh, interesting, interesting. Watch, look, for those of you that might be ignorant and unlearned, there's hope for us, amen? There's hope for us. What do we need to do? We need to spend some more time with Jesus. And after a while, there's some things that will come out in our life. There'll be some boldness. There'll be discernment in our life. There'll be power in our life. And people will say, that ain't him. He's ignorant and unlearned. There's no way. It must be Jesus. And isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal that people would see? Watch this. Our boldness and take knowledge that we have been with Jesus. You see, if Christ is your reason, your wherefore, you know what's going to happen? It's going to affect your walk. If Christ becomes the turning point of your life and why you do what you do, it's going to affect your life. By the way, I'll be as bold to say this this morning. Christ cannot be your reason and it not affect your walk. Impossible. 
It's impossible for you to spend time with Christ and walk with Christ and have a deeper, richer, more meaningful relationship with Christ and it not affect the way you live your life. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let me give you scripture. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That means when that relationship with there is, is there and that fellowship is there and that, that walk with him is there, it's going to start to affect us. By the way, affect us in a good way. As we more like Jesus, as way we shine the light into the world. And by the way, the world desperately needs to see it. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to hurry. The Bible says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Notice, watch. Following, that's walk, is it not? Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering. Keep reading. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Here's what he's saying. Don't walk that way. Verse 1, verse 2, he says walk this way. Verse 3, don't go that way. Notice the deeper, richer, more meaningful relationship with our Father has now altered the course of our life. We're going different places. We are doing different things. And the Bible says this, watch. Verse 3, as becometh saints. He says, hey, hey, saints shouldn't be going there. Saints shouldn't be doing that. Hey, look, look, you've been called out of that. Why are you living that? Why are you going there? He says, that doesn't become a saints, meaning that doesn't represent us well. The other day, it was a little while back, I was in Lowe's. And look, I used to build houses with my dad. I, I know where things are at in Lowe's, but you got this teenager walk up to you, and he's got the Lowe's apron on. Hello, sir, can I help you? My flesh usually wants to say probably not. But I don't, and I try to be kind. And Sir, can I help you? And I said, yep. True story, Lowe's of Hattiesburg. I said, I'm, I'm just here to get some PVC pipe, you know, white plumbing pipe. I don't think we carry that. Look, be nice to these folks. Number one, it's hard to find people to work, okay? It's hard to find anybody that will work. And this is some kid trying to raise money for college so he can be a dentist or something, okay? So be nice to him. And I said, um, I think, I think y'all might. He says, uh, what does it look like? I said, long, white has Charlotte on it, you know, down the side, comes a little bit, you know what, I think we may have just started carrying that, I said, maybe, maybe you did, maybe you did, we go back there and we find it, and uh, I said, I need some couplings, oh, I'm not sure if we carry those, don't pray for patience, because the Lord will send you a customer service representative that will help you learn patience, my goodness, I thought to myself, no offense to the kid, Man, you walk into Lowe's, I mean, if there's anything Lowe's carries, it's PVC pipe, okay? They got lots of it. Little PVC, big PVC, I mean, expensive PVC, cheap PVC, they got it all. But man, you're not a very good representative of the company that you work for. I mean, it's emblazoned along the apron there, it says Lowe's. You notice what he says in, in chapter 5, verse number 3? Let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. He says, hey, you ought to be walking in the way of what you say you represent. Don't be a bad representative of what you claim to have. You see, our walk should be affected. We are called to a higher calling. We're called to a walk. What kind of walk? An accurate walk. 
Walk circumspectly, accurately. You say, well, how do you know what is accurate? It's not my opinion, not your opinion. Watch this. God gave us this walking manual right here. Tells us exactly how to walk accurately. As a matter of fact, not only did he give us a manual how to walk accurately, watch this. He even sent Jesus down to put footprints for us to follow behind. He's our example. Listen, there's no excuse this morning for us as children of God. He has given us light to walk by. He's given us a manual to walk by. He's given an example to walk by. Therefore, this morning, let's live to the higher calling of the Christian life. That's what he's called us to. Ephesians 4, 1. We won't turn back. I'll read it for you. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You see, the calling of the Christian life is where people, watch, can see our life and the way that we're living it. And they're saying, boy, that's the same path that Christ went down. That's the same way that Christ would speak. That's the same way Christ would treat others. The calling of the Christian life, number two, we're called to a walk. Quickly look down to verse 16. Notice he gives us a sense of urgency about our, our calling. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. So watch. Not only do we have a wherefore, a reason, which is Christ. Not only do we have a walk that we are called to walk as accurately as we can. But he gives us a sense of urgency in verse 16 by saying redeeming the time. That means it's time sensitive. Time sensitive. Number three, I want you to notice. We're called to a worry. We are called to a worry. Now, I know what some of you are already thinking. The Bible says not to worry. Okay, I know it says that. But there's something you ought to be worried about. You ought to be worried about the fact that there's a clock that's ticking. And the walk that we're called to walk, there's a time. And there's a limit. You know, nothing motivates me like time. Nothing motivates me like time. Yesterday morning, Miley and I are sitting on the couch watching college football, and I'm teaching her what college football is about. One day when she marries some guy in 25 years, she's going to be able to tell him everything about football that he probably doesn't know because all he did was play video games all the time. I'm picking. We're sitting there watching it, and I'm, ex- I'm pausing, explaining to Miley, all right, this is a running back over here. This is what offsides means right here. And, oh, he just busted coverage right there, and Miley, you know. What's this going to matter in life? Nothing, okay, but at least you're going to know what you're going to talk about. Get a text from Leslie. Hey, you said let you know when we're heading back. We're getting ready to leave Dunkin' Donuts. Huh? I quickly Google Dunkin' Donuts, Gulfport, one hour, one minute away. Start looking around thinking, got a little improvement to make here. Me and Miley made gourmet pizzas. Friday night, it was great. We even made a pizza with Velveeta shells and cheese on it. It was good. You're thinking about that right now because it's 12-11 and you're like, man, I am hungry. You'd even eat a Velveeta shells and cheese pizza. It was great. Go in there, man, there's a pizza pan there and maybe a plate here and thinking, you know what, Miley, maybe, maybe we might better uh, pause the game and the tutorial about, you know, quarterbacks and all that. Maybe we ought to pause that and get about our business because why? Because, hey, we want the house to be nice when mom gets home. That's how she left it. That's how she ought to find it. Amen, mom? Amen. All right, give you a free shot right there. You said amen and sent your husband's a message. What was motivating me? It was time. 
Can I tell you, in all the things that we have to worry about in our society, one thing you ought to be worried about is redeeming the time. You ought to be worried about that. Why? Because in just a few minutes, we're going to get out of here, and the time that we spend in here is gone. It's gone. You ever thought about what you worry about? I Googled this this weekend, just seeing what are the number one, number two, number three, number four things that Americans worry about. Number one, it's money. Number two, it's the future. Number three, it's job security. Those are three things that we worry about in America. Can I tell you what's interesting about that? You can go to your word of God without stretching verses at all and find out those are things that God will help us with. God will help us this morning with our money, with our future, with our job security. He says, hey, Matthew chapter 6, take no thought. This is not what you should be worrying about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what you should be worried about. The things of God, the eternal, that's all that's going to matter one day. And yet we get to the place where we worry about temporal things that will not matter in heaven. And can I tell you something one day? That is why we're distracted from living the Christian life that others could see Jesus in us because we're worrying about the wrong things. We're not worrying about the eternal, not setting our affection on things above. What did he say? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ecclesiastes 3, we know this verse well. Somebody even wrote a song with it. To everything there's a season and a time to every purpose. There's a time to every purpose. Look, I have a purpose in life, and the purpose that God's given me, there's a time on it. I don't know when it's going to end. Four families at the emergency room this morning had no idea they'd be at the emergency room this morning, and yet they're there today. We don't know when our time's going to be up. That's why we've got to be worried about it. Worried about what? Redeeming the time. Think about Paul. What did Paul say? Paul says, I'm running my race. He wants to do what? To finish it. It was time. What did Jesus say? I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. When the night cometh, it was time that was motivating him. When he said the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few, do you know what he was getting at? Time. It's time to pick the crop. It's time to go harvest the grain. He's trying to motivate us to worry about things that matter. I'll tell you, it's so easy to get distracted. Uh, every Tuesday morning, our garbage man comes around, and uh, he usually comes, uh, he used to come about 8 o'clock, and so I'd go out, I'd get the car started, put Miley's backpack in the, in the car, and then I'd roll the garbage out. Well, then he threw me a curveball. He started coming at 6 a.m. I don't know what lit a fire underneath him, uh, but whoever you are, uh, now I have to take the garbage out on Monday night. Uh, you're like, you take the garbage out? Yeah, I do, I really do. I take it out there, all right? What motivates me to get after it and get it done early? Time. There's nothing worse than having to walk by two cans of garbage that have sat there for two weeks because I missed it. Time. Time. The life that we're called to live as Christians, number three, notice it's a life, something we're called to worry about. He says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Finally, let me end with this and we'll close today. Look what he says, verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This morning, watch. The Christian life that we are called to live, the higher standard of the Christian life, the witness of testimony of our life. Number one, we have a wherefore. The turning point was Christ. Daylight and dark, what was it? It was Christ. That's our, our wherefore. But then we found that if we keep reading that he says, you have a walk associated with that Christian life. And then he says, there's a worry, it's time. But notice finally, he sums it all up in verse number 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the, notice the last part, 
will of the Lord is. Number four this morning, notice we're called to a will. We are called to a will. In the end, the calling of the Christian life is 100% completely about his will. What is his will? Now, I want to tell you something this morning. You're going to find that as excited as you may be about doing God's will and living his life and living the Christian life, a deeper, more meaningful Christian walk with God, you're going to find out as soon as you set foot to walk that walk and to be worried about that time, that suddenly you're going to be rivaled. Do you know what it is? It's your will. The greatest rivalry to God's will is going to be your will and your desire and what you want and what you want to seek. And at some point, you have to decide which will wins. But that's something you and I get to pick. What does the Bible say that, that Jesus said in the prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Every morning we have to wake up and decide, thy will be done. Every time we open our mouth, thy will be done. Sometimes when thy will be done, we don't open our mouth, right? Tomorrow at work, tomorrow at school, in relationships with friends and family, thy will be done. Because if it's my will, it's not eternal and it's not pleasing to the Father. Luke 22 Jesus backed up his words. Verse 42, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Can I tell you something I'm so thankful for? When I was studying this out, and I read where Jesus gave them that model prayer, if you will, in Matthew 6, he backed it up in the garden. He didn't just tell them how to pray. He would later show them how to pray in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Can I tell you this morning, the calling of the Christian life means we are called to a will. And unfortunately, I hate to tell you this, and it's hard for me to swallow it each and every day. It's not my will, but his will be done. Why? Well, Romans 2 sums it up, and I'll close. That I am proving what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. You say, well, you're a preacher. Yeah, of course that's your job. No, no, no. That's to all of us, that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what I'm here to do. By the way, that's what I get to do. We get to do that. It's not something we have to do. We have been called out of darkness and called into light to walk circumspectly, to redeem the time, and to fulfill the very will of God for our life. Why? Because one day you're going to want to hear well done. You're going to want to hear well done. I know this morning's message is a message mainly to the saved, but I'll tell you something. I believe there'd be a whole lot more saved people if the people who are already saved lived the high calling of the Christian life. That people could look at our life and say, they're just simple country folk, but there's something about them that reminds me of Jesus. And if their Jesus could influence them, I wonder if their Jesus could influence me. This morning he can. He can. You know what we've got to do? We've got to decide to answer the high calling of the Christian life, what God's called us to do. Why? Number one, we have a wherefore. Jesus is the turning point. From darkness, called out of that, into light. We walk circumspectly, accurately, 
accurately. We live a life redeeming the time. That's what we should be worried about. And then we live to fulfill his will, not ours. Before we close, can I tell you something this morning? The greatest news about the will of God, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that he's not willing, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not the will of God that not a soul in this room this morning who's yet to trust Christ, it's not his will that you should die and spend eternity separated from him in hell. That's not the will of our Father. He wants you to spend eternity in heaven with him. That's why he sent Jesus to pay it all on the cross of Calvary, that you could have life and you could have it more abundantly. This morning the question is, just like for the saved, are you going to choose that life? Christian, are you going to choose to live that life, the calling of the Christian life, what he's called us to live this morning, I promise you will change the world. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand together.